And in order to have that kind of lasting effect, when you intertwine them with experiences, that just really resonates and stays with people. You could read something and forget it. You can watch something and forget it. But if you are joining together and having a shared experience, that is something that people mark in their lives. When you think about friends, usually they're tied to places. A a work friend, a a high school buddy, or a a parent at my, my kid's school, there's a reason why we tie people to places is because those experiences really stick with us. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And I'm Andy McMillan, CEO at User Testing. And today we're super excited to have Wesley Faulkner joining us on the Human Insight Podcast. Wesley is a first-generation American, public speaker, and podcaster. He's a founding member of the Government Transparency Group, Open Austin, and a staunch supporter of racial justice, workplace equity, and neurodiversity. His professional experience spans technology from AMD, Atlassian, and Dell, among others. He's currently Senior Community Manager at Amazon's AWS. He also co-hosts the developer relations-focused podcast, Community Pulse, and serves on the board for South by Southwest. Thanks so much for joining us today, Wesley, and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. So in preparing for this episode, I learned that you ran for Austin City Council in 2016, and I'm always amazed by the courage it takes for someone to run for political office. Uh, for this insight segment, as we head into campaign season here, we asked our contributor network what it would take for them to run for office. And even uh, we ask contributors who are currently in office uh, what the experience was like running and serving. So here's what they said. Have you ever ran for or held a public office? Yes, I am currently an auditor for local government, and this will be my fourth year in my first term. Have you ever ran for or held a political office? And actually, I have. What would it take for you to run for a political office? To be quite honest with you, for me, I think it will require um, definitely more education. I do have a bachelor's degree, so I do feel like it's going to require me probably going to go get a master's or doctorate because I feel like um, those people that are in the political office are definitely very well educated. I think it would take a lot of money because I do need a lot of money. I also need to know a lot of people. Um, I need to be able to get fundraisers. Of course, if I don't have all that money, I need to be able to trust people to vote for me. Um, I guess I need to have probably a good cause. Like, why am I running? What am I so passionate about that I want to change? Well, I think certainly the time commitment. I have a family. I've got three children. I'm married. I run a household. Uh, I have a full-time job. So I would certainly want to make sure, um, you know, that I wouldn't be essentially putting aside my career and my family. I can tell you what the hardest part of running for office is, the political side of it. It's not actually when you get in and you do your job. It's... Um, the election process and all the bitterness that goes on between people when you're running for an office. 
Um, what would scare me the most about running for a political office? Um, right now, our population is so divisive. Um, when you start fighting for stuff, when you starting, when you start to be a political figure, um, what happens many times is that you start uh, poking bears and you start um, messing up with people that really don't want you to mess up with them, and then it could potentially put my family at harm. Just being so publicly exposed to to judgment and um, being so so freely, you know, ex- uh, exposed to other people and um, the fact that the way that the world is working in right now and how people react and behave and the expectations that they have, it's it's really daunting and scary. Oftentimes, something like a political position is a thankless job. It's definitely. Um, it's rewarding, but it's rough. So I think the best thing for me would just be knowing that I'm making a difference, that I'm doing something passionate, uh, that I'm passionate about, and uh, being able to make that impact and have uh, my my hard work and my effort really pay off, resulting in change that I had something to do with. Wesley, after watching uh, people talking about uh, running for office and even those that have spent some time in office, you know, wh- what, what's resonating for you there and, and, and how does some of this feedback apply to your experience? Okay. I'm going to tie it into the passion piece to say that that is one of the things that gets you through all of the rigmarole of going through public office um, or running for an office. Uh, you have to go through a lot of like vetting through not just uh, your opponent telling you how you're not qualified for the role, but also the press telling you you're not qualified for the role. But then you go through all these small little groups, like people who are for sidewalk equity uh, against cars or people who are for teachers uh, who like the left side of the chalkboard. Each one of these groups have like a, a say in a lot of political races and they will tell you tear, tear you apart and give you a whole bunch of questionnaires of how of what your stance is on every little issue that they care about and if you don't have a passion for this role then it's going to be hard to make sure that you answer each one of those inquiries in a compassionate uh and um with fervor that you'll need in order to show that you're committed to doing the role or the job that you're applying for. The other part is that it does take a lot of money. Um, and to explain the money portion, it's not just for ads. Um, when when we think about um, ads that we see online, it's convincing you to buy something. But the reason why you need so much money, money is because you have to do education as well. So it's not just you're applying for a job or applying for a position, you're not just getting their vote, but you're telling them why this position needs to change if you're running against incumbent, what is not been done, what needs to be done and why you're the person to do that. And it takes a lot of money to be able to make that incremental educational push in order to really convince people that you're the one that uh, is gonna be best positioned to make their lives better and to, to serve that constituency. I mean, one thing that really sort of uh, made me smile when I was hearing folks talk about this was, I felt like maybe more than we acknowledged, the people in the video seem to have a real appreciation for it being hard to run for office and that uh, there's sort of a duty involved. I like when one person talked about how smart the people are that must run for office. Like these are people that must have like 
you know, it's so I feel like that makes me feel good that at least for all the rancor in politics, there was a bit more of an appreciation for it out of folks than I had maybe expected to hear. And that was really kind of nice. That made me smile. Yeah. Appreciation or disillusionment. One of those two. <laughs> one like, of those, yeah. I, I've met several people that are just really good with manipulating the the prism of information so that it shines uh, brightest for the group that it resonates more. Rather than really being smart, they know to tap into smart people and to make the message resonate and hook to the people that is going to care about the most. Um, but there is also a lot of like, you know, side manipulation from powers that be that can use different positions as a recruitment ground to move up and to actually build their uh, chest of uh, allies. And so there's a lot of uh, invisible hands with groups and PACs and even elective officials that kind of like move things in the background to make other opponents or other um, candidates look better or worse than they are. So yes, there's a lot of smarts, but you have to build a, a network of allies in order to make sure that you're successful. Makes sense. Yeah, it's it is super fascinating and I think, you know, some of the comments in in the video and then also some of what you've just shared um are really centered around this idea of imposter syndrome, which I feel like is probably pretty hard to avoid when you're in running for office or in office. Um and that's also something that you've addressed in your day-to-day -day work supporting and growing uh, dev communities. So let's jump in a little bit um to more about you. So can you tell us about yourself and you know, what's top of mind for you these days in your role at Amazon? So I guess the good detail between the two is that I love to serve um, and I love to take care of people and to to really uh, make sure that they can be the best that they can be and to help move them further in this journey of life that we're all on. And so when I think about community and, uh, and how it relates to imposter syndrome, community helps not only give perspective because um, I, I think we've all heard, like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So in order to grow, you have to surround yourself with people who can pull you forward and move you through um, any difficulties or challenges. So when I think about community, I think about bringing people together who can challenge each other, who can uh, both in your beliefs, but also in what you think that you don't know, because reinforcing um, where you are is something that comes with imposter syndrome, because you think I, sh I shouldn't be here. I'm not worthy to be here. Um, and when you're so close to something, uh, you may not see how far you've come because everything happens in increments. And so with community, when you're able to share your knowledge with those who are not where you are, but where you were uh, weeks, months, years, you are able to actually give a good delta between where you are, where they are, and show that you have something to offer, you have something to give, but also be around people who can help give you that same leg up. Uh, and so community really helps with uh giving you a good perspective of where you actually are so that the imposter syndrome doesn't have room to creep in. I think that's excellent. I, uh, I like when you talk about helping people understand maybe where you just were, how that, that, that can 
benefit them and, and how they can move on and evolve in their journey. I've heard you say in the past, um, you know, community shapes us. And that really resonated with me. I mean, I've moved around a bunch in my life and lived in different towns and different places and worked in lots of different different kinds of environments. Um, and so community means so many different things. Who, who is around us, where we are, what we do, um, who we identify with. Uh, I think it's really powerful. So can you talk a little about, about what you mean when you talk about how community shapes us and the, the role that that plays in our lives, both personally and professionally? Yeah. I, so especially when we're young and formidable, um, people tell our story and we tell they tell us who we are before we form that opinion of ourselves. So if you're a kid and you're the smart one, or if you're the pretty one, or you're the athletic one, those labels are applied to you um, when you're very, very formidable. And when that same people who you granted either through circumstance or through nature, nurture, or whatever, um, give you a negative story or tell you what you're not, that also shapes how you see yourself. If you see yourself as someone who is struggling, not as smart, um, that can make you either drive you to prove them wrong or you accept it and you kind of restrict your own trajectory in life because of the story that um, you've been told. But either way, that kind of uh, is the input to your output very early on. And as you grow older, you accumulate more people and uh, those people also, that chosen family, either in high school, the clique that you're a part of, or in college, the major you choose, or in work, the profession you choose to pursue, those all kind of move you into a direction closer to that group that is self-selected. And so as you get older, you get shaped by your community, but at the same time, you're choosing the community that you want to be a part of. And so community can shape us in a positive or negative uh, way. Um, and it's really important. And I think that when, as a usually as a US centric society, we look at individuals and say that person succeeded, that person failed, um, but, but not taking the whole context of their being. So um, community shapes us is kind of like showing that we don't all um, do this alone. We do it as a group and we do it as a team. Some of us don't necessarily know that. And um, if you take a, a, a section, a, a, just a second to think about like of all the groups that you're a part of, you can see that those, those tags, those, those qualities is something that's based on the groups that you're a part of. I have a, a question. Um, this is, this is super interesting. Um, it's not on the script though. So Nathan, sorry. Um, I was actually just talking with a good friend of mine and I, and, and we were talking about how we have different communities, like different circles, right. And of which like we have our lives, we have our family, we have our friends, we have our colleagues, we have, you know, you know, I have professional associations I belong to. Um, I'm also part of a, you know, I'm a community member in a small town, and we were talking about how there's sometimes angst when multiple communities like overlap with each other. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, so for example, if I'm out somewhere and I'm with a family member or a friend, and then I a work colleague comes or you know, and and they know me, but they know me in two different communities, like have. I'm not even sure what I'm getting at here, but it's like, this is like an interesting sort of like 
angst people feel because like community makes up who you are, right? But what happens when you are trying to, maybe it's trying to represent multiple communities at the same time. Is that? Yes. So, so code switching or context switching um, is something that you're dealing with. And when you're merging those two, you don't know where you need to be. They said that we have actually three lives. We have a public life, a private life, and a secret life. So the, <laughs> the, the thing that we, we share uh, with the world and then just our family, and then the thing that you only talk about in counseling, those, those three lives, if they are like, if there's a conflict and there's a crossover, it could um, basically tap into a, a, the level of vulnerability that you want to present. And if you are um, bombastic and, and boisterous with your friends, but at work you're reserved, how do you act when those two like contexts are crossed over? Uh, do you turn around and say, hi, very nice to meet you. And then say, hey, girl. I mean, you can't just do both. Um, so that's kind of why it makes it awkward. Um, when a high school friend that you haven't seen in years comes and, uh, comes across the room while you're with, um, a a new spouse that, that you're a totally changed person. How do you present yourself in a way that's accepted the way that is expected and a way that you're yourself want to make sure that you write your own narrative. So yeah, it's a little bit of a, uh, a conflict, Um, And the only way to really kind of get over that is to find a way to integrate your personas. Um, Maybe not move your secret life into your public life, but maybe into your personal life more or move some of your personal life into your public life more. So that crossover allows you to be able to make those transitions easier when um, someone from work goes to a crocheting meet up and then you're there. Um, That aspect of you, if that's part of your identity at work, where you're letting your hobbies uh, show that you are more than just who you are at work. And then then talking to your spouse about a really deep um, mental crisis allows you also to have those conversations more fluidly with people that you care about. In a strange way, it feels like the pitch deck for Instagram. What if your secret life could be your public life? And then that was what we're all sort of living with. But I think that's really um, fascinating to think about. I, I had this story where someone a couple of years ago told me that it was really fun at a work event where my family was there to see my kids not listening to me because I'm the CEO. And I thought, mm. like, why do you think they would care that I'm the CEO? Like, that's not how I mean, like, that doesn't matter to them. They treat me just like every other dad gets treated. But for them, it was really interesting context to see these worlds sort of collide where, you know, in some circles, you're in a position of some relative power. And in another, you're just another dad with kids that are doing what kids do. And it was interesting to me that that was so different to them, where that just seemed like sort of a natural thing to me. So, um, yeah, interesting. I, I've never heard that framing of the three lives, but it it will give me something to think about for, for quite a while today. That was good. Yeah, it all goes into psychological safety. So you're only going to limit yourself, your vulnerability uh, to the point where you're willing to get hurt, I guess, right? And so that's why um, from a, a work perspective, if I, um, like when you read my bio, it mentions all the things that I'm passionate about. And that's the reason why I include those little nuggets in my bio, because I, I want to do that crossover. I want to be able to be authentically me in as many settings as possible. Yeah, it's really interesting because 
I think too, that's almost like an, an, um, something that is just, people are just kind of starting to embrace. I mean, I remember when Facebook came on the scene, right. And I was like, I had an account and my good friend at work had an account, but like, she didn't want to be friends with me because like, she was like, I don't really want you to know. It's not like she had a bad personal life. It was just sort of like, she didn't want to like there were boundaries, right? So anyway, I think that's that's all evolving and changing. And I think, you know, what's interesting about communities is that sometimes they organically sort of form, right? Um, it might be just, you know, like I said, people in your community or people you went to high school with. And then other times there's sort of communities that are sponsored by an organization, like organization kind of supports this community, So maybe we can dig into that a little bit, because I know that many companies do support, you know, user communities, other types of communities. So kind of a two-part question, I guess. Um, In your opinion, what are the benefits of a community to those within the community, which I think we kind of already touched on, but maybe this is more in the context of if an organization is sponsoring that community. So what's the benefit for the community members? And then also, what's the benefit to the organization that's sponsoring that community? So the benefit to uh, sponsored communities, let's just call it that, um, is that sometimes you get some of that reliability. Um, I think we've all been part of groups um, where sometimes someone doesn't show up and the whole thing falls apart. Uh, Someone doesn't uh, do the one thing that they're supposed to do. And then now there's infighting. Um, There's still bits of that in sponsored communities, of course, but less so because there is... Uh, a responsible kind of caretaker to make sure that the care and feeding is done and some of the um, just basic necessities are taken care of. It allows the group to kind of only focus on the core part of the content that they are uh, circling around. Why they? Why do they come together? Um, it's almost like that uh, that chef that loves cooking. And so that they open a restaurant and they realize, oh my gosh, I got to run a restaurant now and not just make food. There's so much work to running a group and to making sure that it's successful, that if you're able to outsource some of that, um, the the tasks that aren't core to the really the, the, the center of the group, then it makes it so much easier for for the person, the people who are joining and coming together to focus on that content, to focus on each other and the learnings and leveraging each other's time effectively. Um, but what's it's good for for the uh, organizer or the sponsored sponsor uh, company sponsoring this organization is that they get some of the goodwill of being able to really do that. Um, they make sure that if this group that's together, that they are successful because sometimes there's um, intertwined um, successes. So if the group is successful, it'll help us be successful. And then um, there are knock-on effects um, such as um, you're, you're just really demonstrating not just what your company does, but just what your company stands for. And so if you are imbuing this group with your same value sets, with your same um, uh, feelings and what you are really trying to highlight, then it's a demonstration of that in this group. And each one of the members is almost like a walking, talking example of that same group. So it 
allows you to not just do an impact of the people who are there, but the people who come and when they talk to their friends, when they talk to their coworkers, when they talk to uh, a student that is also interesting in finding a community where they can learn and grow. It, it has these tentacles that go out and this really hockey stick of an impact that goes way beyond the, the Tuesday once a night meeting. Um, uh, or the Tuesday meeting once a month, but it goes to people who were, I've, I've known groups that have been gone for like years and people still talk about them. Uh, and it, in order to have that kind of lasting effect, when you intertwine them with experiences that just really resonates and stays with people, you could read something and forget it. You can watch something and forget it. But if you are, joining together and having a shared experience, that is something that people mark in their lives. When you think about friends, usually they're tied to places, a a work friend, a a high school buddy, or a a parent at my, my kid's school. There's a reason why we tie people to places is because those experiences really stick with us. So Wesley, how do you um, do that in a, more virtual or digital kind of world now? How do you keep that kind of authenticity or that feeling of connection when you're building community now on a, maybe on a global basis or on a regional basis, but still in a very distributed way? How do you sort of keep that authenticity and connection? Well, yeah, the internet makes things way more complicated because you don't know who's listening. You don't know who's going to come in. Um, And when we talked about community, um, uh, in the examples before, I've been talking about bringing people together. So when in a, in a virtual realm, it's really under, it's really cl- uh, need to make it clear that uh, community is uh, a really thick border around people who are inside and together, but also that thick border is also the people who are not in the community who are out. And so you have to make sure that you're very explicit about what's welcome and who is not, or what actions are not welcome. And then you have to make sure that's tied with uh, and expectations of how it's going to be enforced uh, and where are the repercussions for um, violations for how long and, um, and what that actually means. So um, when you're talking about virtual communities, you, you need to make sure you have a good code of conduct. You need to make sure that you have a good moderation policy. And you also have to make sure that you have some sort of control mechanism either a forum or um, a Slack group or whatever, where that you can just say, all right, we're cutting off your access or I'm not going to let you through. Um, And then um, once you have all of that set up from the infrastructure side, then you have to train your community uh, is is a not so elegant way of saying it, but you set an example of the, the behaviors that you want to see in your community and reward that. And then you also do mild corrections of the behaviors you don't want to see. And so that when you're setting up your social norm, when you're setting up your lingua franca, when you're setting up your etiquette, that that is very um, uh, seen and demonstrated by the people running the community. And as people join, as they observe, then that should be clear uh, on what people are saying or doing in the community to show that if you want to be a part of this group, this is the way that we are showing uh, social capital and how you gain it within the system. 
Yeah, it, ma- it makes a lot of sense. And I think um, one of the things that comes to mind to me, I mean, when I when we work with different teams or we talk to, um, you know, different initiatives that people running different initiatives within a business, like success tends to be like, oh, we need to hit this revenue target or we want to be, um, you know, ensuring that we have this many uh, people who have signed up for the podcast or stream the podcast or, you know, we we think about these things all the time. And I'd love to hear your take on like, how do you measure success of a community? Like, how, how do you think about that even for the community that you run at Amazon AWS? I'm going to give a more generic answer, but um, when you're thinking about measuring a community, usually um, what you measure is what you affect. So um, if you're not measuring the success of the people who are in the community or the value that they're getting from the community. If that's not part of the measurements, then you're really not going to be tracking that. Thus, you may lose sight of what makes your community good. Um, And so when you are thinking about focusing on metrics to say if a, a community is successful, um, that is one of those things where it's a complicated answer um, to a simple question because a lot of it depends on who's asking it. If you're a company that has a sales division, they want to know how many leads they can get from the community. If you're, uh, if there is a customer service section, they want to know how much of their uh, of the the problem tickets are being diverted because people are getting their their questions answered in the community. Um, if you are in marketing, you're wondering, you know, like, how can I blast a marketing message out to this community so they know what we're selling this week? So that answer also, like who asks those questions are also, it's dependent on what department community falls in. And um, when you're a member of this community, you just see one monolithic company, but when you're in the company, you understand all the different facets. And um, also when there's like an exec change or there's tumult in the company or in the industry, all of those things can change. So community needs to be super adaptive in terms of what it measures and how, but it also needs to make sure that it doesn't focus off the core nugget of why the community is, um, why is it there? So the I think generally speaking, everyone knows that there's usually a North star, then there's strategy, and then there's tactics. And all of those are are things that can change. But the North star needs to be something that's bought in with all of the stakeholders in a company to define what community is so that when you are answering these questions, you're putting it uh, in the nuanced answer saying, we can do this as long as it doesn't break this portion that we agreed on cannot be touched. So it's subjective. So uh, I, as it's a, it depends answer, but uh, I, it's kind of like all of those things need to be worked in into measuring a community. But if I had to boil it down to anything, it is what does the community itself say it's worth? And there's ways of doing that saying like, if I paid you five bucks, would you leave the community? If I paid you $500, would you leave the community? Um, If I paid you, um, if you had to pay $500, would you join this community? If there is a $3 annual subscription, would you pay that every month to be, or every year to be a part of this community? So there's there's ways to figure out worth um, for measurement, Um, but it all depends on like 
what is valuable and the community itself, of course, usually is attached to a company. And so everything comes back to money. So there's a good, that's a good bridge to figure out the monetary value of a community by figuring out how much people would want to pay for it in a hypothetical way. I think that's a, it's a great answer and a very good segue to um, one of the other clips that we want to play. So we asked contributors from around the world, including someone in Singapore, who's a member of the AWS community, about the benefits and challenges that they have with online communities. And uh, I think this was pretty insightful. So uh, here is what they had to say. Um, what are the benefits from participating in one of these online communities? Is uh, advice, tips, tricks, problem solving? Um, the benefits of these systems are endless, really. Um, it, it brings people together. It solves problems. It's innovative or it encourages innovation. I think uh, the, the key benefit is to learn from the experts, <clears throat> sharing of experience, the best practices. And this is something that is probably beyond what I can uh, learn with my local team. So so it, it's always beneficial to, to, to hear from the experts in uh, globally, how, how we can do things better, you know, uh, makes our work more efficient. Uh, is it you get feedback? You can talk to the other devs. Um, you can post things in like a, um, a forum, and people can help you out, especially like um, code and um, yeah, just giving you tips and stuff that you might not know. Making a good connection between people. Do you more? Do you feel more connected to a platform, technology, or brand when you're a member of the community? Absolutely, yeah. I have my own profile on Drupal.org. Um, you can see what I've contribu contributed to, what my company's contributed to. You connect with people, you talk on threads. Um, and it's so much more than just a CMS that makes websites. Uh, so, yeah, hugely connected to the community. Yes, yes, because, like, let's say for AWS, uh, I'm part of the community, so I, I, I'm, I feel more connected. I feel that I can learn about the products better. Uh, what are the negatives from, from participating in one of these online communities? Disinformation. I think sometimes you just get things that is uh, like with any, you know, look at a Reddit boards. Uh, you can find some stuff that you can find some very helpful people. And some people just go off off the tracks and in different areas. Can, anyone can see your problem. Um, don't really say that this is a negative, but people might steal code, um, steal functionality. Yeah, I mean, if I have a magic wand, I would love that you helps me shoo up the noises, the wrong information, the fake news from the online community so that I can better spend my time absorbing, you know, taking in information, learning the right things from the community. Yeah. I guess encouraging, encouraging inclusivity um, for, for everybody. Um, and with that, just make sure that these online communities are accessible to people. So you, you, you extend that net as far as possible to get all the potential members that you want. So accessibility, I think. I thought it was interesting when folks sort of talk about the trust they place in the community they're part of and how they don't want that trust to be eroded. Like a lot of theirs was like either trust in them, like sharing something that they want shared or feeling like there was misinformation. I thought that was really interesting. Like the, feeling of like, if I'm part of this, don't let the trust erode. I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I don't know, Wesley, what was your take on the feedback from community was, members? I was just thinking about like, this may be 
uh, probably not unique, but definitely a characteristics of technical communities because there is a right answer for some of this stuff. You, you, if it's code, it works or it doesn't work. If there's a problem, you make a change, you, you eliminate a bug or you produce another outcome that is not desirable. And so having uh, the really good thing about a community, is almost like when some, uh, when you think about the manuals for some of the things that people work on in the technical space, they're huge. Um, it, but it's also the equivalent of someone hands you a dictionary and saying which words are important. Without the context of understanding how they relate to each other, it can be kind of hard and daunting to approach. And so having a, a community to be able to narrow in on the most used portions or the things that are going to be most leveraged for different portions of your code or whatever project you're working on makes it really helpful to have someone by your side who can not just give you an answer, but a tailored answer for your particular issue or your particular vertical problem. That's really great about a, a, a technical community is that when you have this disinformation, you can present that and have people tell you whether or not that is indeed true. But not only that, show you their work to show you how it is or is not uh, good in certain condition, conditions via benchmarking, um, via deploying it on a certain infrastructure. All of that stuff is testable, which allows you to, but, but when everyone is working on this, then you're able to really discern that fairly quickly. And uh, reputation is built on being able to get you those answers. Um, on, and if you are lying, if you are deceiving, um, then you're, you're going to be persona non grata fairly quickly. All right, so um, we're going to move into the lightning questions round. So this is a set of questions that we ask every guest on the podcast. Um, so you did mention one book uh, early on in the um, uh, in the beginning, made to stick. But is there a book that you've recently read that you'd recommend to our listeners? Yes, uh, the end of bias uh, by Jessica Nordell. Uh, this is an a this is a wonderful book because it really centers on what we think is normal uh, societal like unmovable objects really can change with really um, dedicated groupthink and reeducation and re um, shifting of perspectives. Um, so bias is one of those things where you feel that you know. We all have bias, but how do you overcome those? How do you leave yourself open to thinking differently? So um, I think this book unlocks creativity. It unlocks um, feeling like you are going against a system that is unchangeable. Um, it helps with human connection. It helps with being able to change perspectives because um, realizing how you're able to have two minds of how th multiple things are valid um, so I, I, I really, really endorse this book. It's, it's, it's really, really, I've, I've reread it like three times. It's really, really great. Yeah. It sounds fascinating. Um, going to certainly look into that, um, bias is a, a super fascinating topic and it's everywhere at user testing. Uh, we care a lot about, uh, helping our customers collect customer feedback and human insight. Um, I'm not sure if you have a piece of advice that you might give to someone trying to convince others to invest in customer feedback. If you're not listening to your customers, who are you serving? So if you're not giving them what they want, who are you 
trying to make happy. And so user feedback is a way to actually, um, I think there, there's a, people are mistaken by say like, you know, Ford said, if I asked them what they wanted, I would give them a faster horse. They would, they would, but once you actually have a product out there in the market, something tangible, some people can compare about, uh, what they use it for, then it's, it's almost imperative for you to listen to what they're saying in order for your com- company to be successful. Yeah, I love it. Um, and when you think about the future of community and community development, which is a, a big focus of yours, what are, what are you most excited about? I'm excited about the a little bit of the the validation. I think community is been. A, I mean, communities have been around forever. Um, corporates corporations have sponsored them. Now um, we've gone through several cycles of kind of like layoffs, and then like maybe a possible impending. Uh, recession, but communities endure through all of this. And it is one of those things where uh, it's a moat around your your impression and goodwill that if you build it up enough that you're able to really have these reserves. And I, I, and I think that we're in the heyday of community where that is actually going to be recognized and people are really going to, instead of learning why community is important, um, that'll be a given and that'll be table stakes that people will understand why community is so important. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Wesley, on the Human Insight Podcast. I personally learned a ton. It was great to hear your perspective and, and your learnings, both from community to um, running for office and, and political um, uh, role. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it was really great. Thank you, Wesley. Thank you for giving me a space to share my thoughts. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks.